Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I am excited to welcome Heather R. Younger back to the podcast to talk about her newest book, The Art of Active Listening. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Heather in case you may not remember her from when we had her on earlier in the podcast. Heather is an experienced keynote speaker, a three-time author, and the CEO and founder of Employee Fanatics a leading employee engagement, leadership development, and DEI consulting firm, where she is on a mission to help leaders understand the power that they possess to ensure people feel valued at work. Oh my gosh, I want everyone to feel valued at work. We spend so much time there. Uh, I hope you enjoy Heather and I's conversation as we dive into her newest book, The Art of Active Listening, and we talk about her five-step framework for you to be able to use to be a better, more intentional leader so you can help people feel cared and valued and heck, maybe even want to stay at your organization because they feel so supported. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Here it is. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be joined on the podcast today. Again, recurring guest. We've already had her on, Heather R. Younger. But today, we're here to talk about her newest book, The Art of Active Listening. Heather, welcome back to the show. We're so excited to have you back. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. I really am. And just to see your face and look at you all. I just remember sunshine and you're wearing the sunshine color. So I love it. It's a Monday. I'm amazed that I actually have this level of sunshine today. But you know what? Are Why you not? Kidding? We're, we're above ground. It's a great day for a great day. Heather, tell us what you've been up to since the last time you were on the podcast, because you were on our podcast over a year and a half ago, like two years ago. What have you been up to? Oh my gosh. Well, obviously I have the new book that's here. I've got, there's so much. I think my biggest thing is like busy family life. I have four kids. I've got like one who's a sophomore in college, one moving into college next year. I mean, it is just like family life's crazy business wise. Um, I mean, I, it's just, I feel like it's just so many things going on between the consulting and the speaking. I've been speaking like a crazy person these last couple of years um, and really putting out the, the whole message of caring leadership and belonging and listening out into the world. I'm doing global like, travel and things. And so, uh, and then the consulting stuff. So it just, it's just been, it's just very busy. I don't, it, very productive, let's say. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I love that. I thought I just saw that you were in Spain for an event. Is that right? Did yes, I- yes. I was in Barcelona. We, my husband and I went for an event and then we had, we stayed like four more nights and just kind of traveled. And oh my gosh, it was, it was, it, it definitely gives you the, and then the beginning of the year I did uh, Maui for a speaking engagement. It gives you this taste of like, Ooh, I want more. I want more. I want more, you know, it just does. So, I mean, I want more <laughs> if it starts with Maui. I want to go to Hawaii. <laughs> like, of course I would want that, especially at the beginning in January. I yeah, definitely would love totally. that. Totally. So beautiful. Okay, so let's. I mean, we move. We're you're moving into. You came out with your newest book because you're already mm-hmm. a published author. Of course, you're a speaker and a consultant. Your newest book, The Art of Active Listening, and I know that caring leadership was also like one of your platforms. Mm-hmm. What made you kind of write this book? What was your inspiration for writing your newest book? Yeah. So when you, um, I always I explain this at the beginning of the book too, because I think it's so important and interesting this did the journey. So the first book I wrote was the seven intuitive laws of employee loyalty. And then the second book that the first chapter in that book is called give them good supportive managers. And then the second book is called the art of caring leadership, which was my attempt to define what supportive managers really look like. And so it was like coming up with interviews and research with nine behaviors that really stand for care. It actually represent what care is. And we always hear that we're care is a very nebulous one of the nine behaviors was to create a culture of listening. And 
it resonated with a lot of people. And I, and when I was writing, I'm thinking like, this is it. And it had like a really good framework to it. And it was a framework I had I'd used over the years working with customers and employees. And so that's why I decided to write this book. It was like, I felt like we really have been missing this. People aren't seeing people. There's with the suicide rate, with the depression, with all the things that have happened these last few years. Have people really been seen? And a lot of people, the ads would be no, they don't feel seen or heard. And so I wanted to create a workplace book that said, how do we create an environment that that really fosters this idea of active listening and active listening. It's not exactly like it used to be. So it's it, the concept of active listening is not new, but how I put it together in the five-step framework is, and that's what you'll see actually uh, when you get your hands on that whole ebook too. I'm excited for you to get it. I'm um, excited too. It is. It just walks people through kind of a five-step process and helps them think through how, how are they currently listening now and where they might have a gap. And where and where they can do better, and we all can. Like I, I write this stuff, I write all the stuff, and I am not perfect at it. I have a long way to go. Um, I'm. A, it's a strength of mine at work, which is why it's a workplace book. It is not a strength of mine at home. I'm a work in progress, even more so at home. So, I mean, that's well, and I love and. I mean, I am uber passionate about mental health. It has been something that yeah. So knowing. I just love that you wrote this with mental health in mind because mental health is obviously that's what we all have. And it's been a place that, or it's been a a topic that hasn't been invited into the workplace for a variety of reasons, like right, wrong, or indifferent. It hasn't been there, but I'm loving the shift because for those that are listening right now, and I'm not sure, I know suicide rates in the United States are at an all-time high. I'm not sure what the global number or statistic of that looks like, but we all do need to pay attention to that because there are a lot of people that need to be seen and heard. And especially with hybrid or remote, we're not seeing people in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about bringing this in, why do you think organizations need it like today? And more, I should say, where do you think organizations might have an opportunity for improvement? Maybe that's a starting point. Where are organizations getting it wrong? Or what do they, what do organizations really need to start to focus on to build in a, a culture of deep listening? Yeah, I think there's kind of two areas as we think of I think I think many organizations will do that kind of annual survey. Um, they may even do like a pulse survey. They may do some roundtables. They might do that. It's what they do with it that makes the difference. And often either they don't take action, they take action and they're proud of themselves. They don't think through the action and include enough people around the table before they take the action to make sure the action they take is pointed and relevant and needed. And then after they take the action, they don't go back to the people who use their voices to improve the culture to let them know um, that they did take action, that they plan to take action or the areas they cannot take action on. And so I would say those are the biggest things. And that applies, I think, too, for like, you know, leader to team member that applies to, you know, to, you know, team up a project manager and a, and a group of people that maybe are on their project. It could be anybody inside the organization. This is not just a book or even just a thought process for those who manage people. It is that too, but it's other things. How are you listening to customers? How do you follow up with them? How do you come back to them and let them know that what they wanted to be done, you actually are doing it or you can't do it and why? Uh, so that's really where the act of listening is. It has the, the part where we lean in deeply to, to understand to peel away our filter, to replace it with their story, with their needs, not ours. And then and then it takes those other steps of like pausing and reflecting on what we've heard, acting in ways that are more pointed to the, to the needs of the person, and then coming back to them, what I call closing the loop in the process. How do you think, you know, again, knowing that these conversations weren't necessarily invited into the workplace, where do you think people maybe are missing the mark in listening? Is it that they're just still using more of that authoritative like mindset of like, well, I just told you to do this, so do it, or having high expectations 
even though there's a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty for people to figure it out. And I love also, before I jump into that question, just that you made the distinction. Listening is, I don't think it's extended to just of a leader. We have to all be active listening and all think about the person, our peers, our kids, our customers, whoever you're interfacing with, that we do need to pay attention because it's okay. Can we just talk about the fact that maybe I'm going to deviate here? The fact that communication and listening have been concepts that have been talked about from the beginning of leadership, yet we still have to talk about them. Why do you think that they're still there and we haven't figured it out yet? Yeah. You know, I think, I think, there's two things. I think we didn't know the right way to do it. I think we didn't have the patience to see it through. When I think about change or like getting better, there's really like three requirements. One is like this awareness that we're not doing it great. And I think that's something that could be lacking. But I think some of us also know we're not great at it. Then the second step is the desire to see it, the desire to change, like do something different about it. And the third step is this like stamina. So it's like understanding that you're not going to get great at this tomorrow, that you have to do it over and over again to get it better, to see it through, to stick with it. So change is not a short-term thing. It's long-term. It's not easy. But I think that like when we go back to the first question, I think from a diagnosis perspective, let's say, if I were to think this through in my own personal experience, because like I said, I'm not perfect at it, it would be, we have too much on our plates. We are over consumers of stuff, of things, of process of multitasking. And until we rid ourselves of the need to do five things at once, we'll never be giving the thing in front of us right at the moment. It's pure like focus and attention. We won't be giving gifts to people that we could easily be giving to people with that kind of undivided attention. Like right now, you know, my phone is buzzing and I'm not answering it. My laptop's up, but that's only because I'm looking at you and I'm not looking at my emails. Right. Um, right now, my dog is quiet. There's no kids around. My husband's in his office. So I, right now it's you and I, Jen, and it's just you and I, I'm hearing you. But I mean, if he comes out of the office and the dog starts barking and someone knocks the door and I put up, I start looking at myself and I lift up my email. I mean, who can do that? And then claim to be really listening to someone. We can't, we cannot do that. So until we learn to pause and to say the person in front of me and what they need for me is the most important thing right now, until we just do that one thing, it's that like mindset that says they are so important. They are the most important thing. And then when we do that and we're present, now we tell them that they are the most important thing to us. We have to start there first. I love that. It's just a small step. So if you're in the office, that means moving your eyes away from your computer monitor to actually pay attention to them. I still like that is always, and I don't actually typically go into the office anymore, but that was always the that thing that comes to mind when I think about listening of, hey, I've got a question for you. I can't be bothered. I'm going to continue my email, but I'm going to try to listen to you at the exact same time and give you what you need. And then you just feel like you're a complete annoying, bothersome person. And then you're like, why? I guess I will just struggle and figure this out or maybe just take my best guess. And maybe it's not the right guess, but that's what I think about. Where do you think? So distractions, huge. I mean, are you seeing that just I mean, anywhere in the fact that we're in this hybrid environment where we are more able to be connected to our phones and those interruptions that happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love, I feel like we should all go and talk to the person that coined the term. Everyone talk about being a great multitasker in your interviews. It's going to get you the job because it's really been ingrained as a way of being that I'm a great multitasker, but it's really the opposite of what we need to actually be active. Absolutely. That is so (laughs) true. I think that um, when we think of the hybrid workplace, um, I think that we need to listen in very similar ways. So the level of intentionality just goes way up when we're dealing with hybrid. And it is because of the the distract because distractions were our issue to begin with in the workplace. And now they're the same. They're even worse now. 
Um, and so we have to be that the level of intentionality of us peeling back. I just, that's the only way I can really think about it is like, I think of it as like, I'm peeling back, like all the fray, like I'm separating myself from all the things that are all around me that are distracting me, you know, that don't allow me to be present. Here's an example. So I have um, three boys who are still at home after they come home from uh, school. I'm sitting right at my dining room table right now and they come through this door and they just like load in and they start talking about soccer, a grade, a teacher, and they just start going, "Ah," right. And my head is like, "Ah," and I cannot focus on them all at the same time. So I got to the point because I was doing it. Plus my computer screen, my laptop screen was still up. My phone was on vibrate, but my screen was up so that the notifications would still come up. So I got to the point where I said, okay, I'm going to shut my laptop screen. So I'm just shutting it as they walk in because I know they're going to come in and need me. So I'm going to shut that. I'm going to make sure the phone is on like the cushy chair because it might buzz, but I won't hear it as much as if it's on something hard. This is a tactical thing, but it's true. And then what I did is I said, listen, each of you has to only talk and the others have to be quiet. Like I need to only talk to you right here. So you three are here and you can stay here. Don't say a word when it's not your turn. I'm talking to just him and I'm talking to him. I get to the point and I wrap that up. Then I go to the next one. And if this one starts talking, I'm like, nope, you had your chance. You'll come back to me later. I'll come back to you later. But right now you got to shush because I need the other person. Then I go to the next person because I'm smart enough to know that there's no way my entire like brain shuts down as I try to listen to three people at one time. And like right. do all the other things. So I just said from a level of intentionality perspective, shut the laptop lid to put this phone over there where I can't hear the buzzes as much and make sure that I parse off, even if it's just a minute and a half per kid. And it's the same exact thing with our team members. It's on projects. It's the same exact thing. You just have to have a little high level of intentionality. That's it. I, again, it's, and it's, I love that that just, that creates the ease, right? Like there, it's not really a heavy lift as long as you're being intentional with giving your, your direct attention to them. And maybe let's understand the value. So before we dive more into your book, why do you think organizations need to really care about this today? Well, I think the biggest thing is um, when we think about the the amount of choices, when we look at the pandemic and how many people made the choice to stay home or stay hybrid, or like if they were in a place that required them to come back to work, they said, no, my choice is that I actually had more balance. And I love the fact that I could be working from home and put in the laundry or be there or just not have to do the commute. So they already know that the, those at work already know there's a choice. And of course, customers already knew there was a choice, but the, those that are team members uh, really became aware that they had a choice. So in this case, if you know your team members are heightened aware about having a choice, then you have to make sure you find ways to differentiate yourself. And this is one way you do that, that how many people do you think are going to leave a workplace that that makes them feel heard, valued, and understood? That, right. that Leave a workplace that makes them feel like you are in their corner, like you care for them truly, not just for what you do for them, what they do for you, but for who they are as people. Um, that you're looking out for them to like help them progress in their career. Who do you think is going to voluntarily leave that environment? Unless it's like a tremendous amount of money or it's a total like, a, even though you're all nice and kind and you're listening and you make them feel valued, in the end, it the work, whatever the thing is, is not quite meeting their needs. But I would say more often than not, that first category of people is going to be a lot less likely to leave than the, than the second where it's just, it's more of like just not a match and the match can't be found inside. Um so that's the thing I always want to challenge people to think about is whether we're talking about you interacting with the customer and the customer's large customer and you want to keep them. How many customers would leave a business partnership where the people on the other end truly hear them, put out products and services that value them, that make them know that their voices were heard in the process? Um, it's something to be thinking about. So I would say from a retention perspective, from a increase in wallet share perspective, um, you know, not having to acquire or you know, basically the cost of the cost of acquisition, the cost of recruitment for employees, not having that there are huge benefits. 
I mean, I can relate to that. I feel I made a shift. Let's see, when I joined Crescom as an employee back in 2018, I had never in my career felt so supported by a boss, mm-hmm. never. And I, you know, it wasn't for the financial reasons that I came to Crescom. And I don't mean that as a knock. It just wasn't it. Like that number wasn't, I was, I took a pay cut, but I have never felt so supported. And that is still one of the reasons that I will actually continue to probably take a little bit less money because I really just value having a boss that really values what you do and have and supports you for that. And no matter what I have your back, that is priceless. And coming from almost, I'm going to call it 10 years of that politicking that like, just be, do as I say, not as I do. I don't really care as long, you know, fall in line, which was my earlier leadership experience, you know, be a yes, man, do that. You were never heard. And I was making money then. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting to just know because it, it comes back to, again, mental health. Like I don't have those anxieties. I don't have the Sunday scaries, if you will, Mm. in the same way that I did at past companies, because I know that my employer cares about me. Mm. And like, I just feel like I feel so lucky to have that. But I do want to encourage people to stand in your power that there are organizations out there that are willing to support you and see you as a person. Crosscom is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. So let's dive into it. How do we actually perform the art of active listening? (laughs) I I know that it starts with our intention of really being intentional. Mm -hmm. about what we want. And it's intentional about, is it just seeing the person? Is it listening to clear message? Or where would you start on this journey if you were going to coach a leader? I mean, is it the starting point of like being intentional with your time and your attention? Mm -hmm. I would say I I give in the book, I give this five-part framework purposely because I think people need to know, like in order for them to gauge how well they do that. Like before we thought of active listening is it's kind of like my second step in the process. The first, let me get really, I'm going to go through this quickly. The, The first step is recognize the unsaid. And the recognizing the onset really is this idea of under, recognizing the nonverbal cues, the, 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 the subtle signs inside of our environment, the people we sit across from, those who work in the same environment, those that are just in our workplace. And, and I'm, I'm talking workplace. Well, all these things will apply at home or in the community. I'm talking workplace right, right now. Um, and so what happens is it's hard to own something that you're not aware of. But but once you become aware, once you recognize what's not instead, now it's uncommon upon you, whoever that might be, to say, what okay, what am I going to do about it? What am I what actions am I going to take? But before that, it's hard to own it because you're not aware. So it's becoming aware of things, the signs, the cues, 
in the environment that something is off and having the courage to dive deeper into what that might be. And that's through that next step of seeking to understand. And that seeking phase could be, you know, surveys and listening sessions and roundtables and culture teams and ERGs and all kinds of things where we are going deeper to lean into the person's perspective and, and to feel their pain and to not, not to muddle it up with what our pre, you know, our assumptions are, because that's what happens. We listen to respond and we are always assuming. And instead of assuming, because you know what they say about people who make assumptions, right? If we take that out of the way, now we get into really true understanding and we can go to solve for the thing that's truth, not the thing that's the assumption. So that seeking to understand is critical. And most people think that is listening. Well, we're leaning in, we shake our heads, we we paraphrase what we hear, all those things. It's a what critical part of it, but it's not the only step. There's many other parts of the listening process. I, I want to, and sorry that I interrupted you because no. that was not a great sign of active <laughs> listening right there. That was absolutely not, do not do what I just did, but I, I got, I, and I did, but I love a few things of what you just said of even like the assumptions, like thinking that, you know, what someone's going to say, but I want to go back to the cues and maybe it's because I have just seen this where I'm like, do you, do people not see these nonverbals? Cause like they, they're giving you some vibes about how they feel, but what are some of the cues? Like if we're beginning to try and truly hear what's not being said, which is that mm-hmm. first part of like really seeking to just understand and see what's not being said. What are some of the cues that you could even look for? Well, I would say, I mean, when we think of the nonverbals, it's going to be, sometimes it's like how people are in a meeting. So if they, if you're, if they're, if you're used to seeing them, if it's a physical meeting, they're in person and used to seeing them really engage. And all of a sudden they kind of retreat, either they don't show up on time, they don't come or they don't talk, but before they were, it's like, eh, there's a curious, there's curious, the curiousness that should come from that. Or, um, Or they're like more aggressive or so those are some of the things that you can do, even if it's just like physically going in or physically leaning back or crossing arms, you get some of those people who shake their head and they're really kind of you can see their eyes are pinned either to the screen or in person when they're in front of you. Right. Knowing like, okay, this person is really locked in. But before they weren't locked in, this person was locked in and now they're not really locked in. I can see that they're little, they're very distracted. What's happening? It's it's leaning in, leaning with curiosity about why things seem different and you can't do this unless you start to move away all the things that are really getting your way. So it's like you're on, you're doing, you're going through your checklist of the day. You're like one, two, three, four, five, and you have no room in between the checklist to kind of pause and just be like, huh, what's happening? So I had a, um, a manager of mine, this has been some years ago, but to this day, I think of his, my, like my best manager ever. So he, um, when I, I was working in an organization and I felt like the leadership team was like stopping me from doing, doing my job. Like I, I felt like I couldn't move forward. They were just pausing things, pausing things. And he was the one who hired me. And so he came down to my office one day, knocked on the door, this big old smile on you know, his face. And we had no meeting. So I was thinking, oh, like, and he's like, Heather, and I was like, oh, what did I do? Right. And so he comes down and sits in a chair across from me again, just like totally loose, like laid back. And he's like, so how are you doing? He's like, I know you're frustrated. I know that you feel like we are stopping you. And there's like all these pauses, all these breaks, but I want you to know, I hired you to do this thing. You're doing a great job. I want you to keep doing that thing and just keep your chin up. Be patient with us. I promise we'll get past this point. And I felt like in that moment, truly seen and heard from a point where I didn't have to say words, but he just noticed that like, I wasn't coming to his office. I was retreating more. I was like in my office, staying down. He was in the fifth floor. I was down in the base floor and I wasn't going up to see him and I wasn't stopping in as much. And I seemed, and he was paying attention. And so 
even him, it's interesting enough, he was like a CFO, one of the, like, he was a CFO. So he was like that kind of person. You would think maybe they weren't paying attention from a stereotypical right. view, but he was paying attention. He came down with courage to address the fact of how he could see there were some differences there and to let me know that he was on my side, that he was, and he would do things like that here and there. And I'm like, I mean, to this day, I just, I will never forget it. And in fact, he had, um, his son had passed away some, some years ago, um, just a terrible situation. And he had already left. So he had left the place. I had been since left the place. I had been on my own. Then I found out this thing happened. So I went to his son's funeral and I like hugged him. And I'm like, I just want you to know, like you, the, the impact you had on me in my life. And the fact that I think you of you as my best manager ever. And it was because you saw me. It was because you saw me. So. That is a powerful example of how that still stuck with you, even though you were in a completely different place. You didn't even have to go and support him, no matter, mm. you know, how like the traumatic experience you could have been like, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but like, I don't have to reach out. Like, yeah. what a powerful story. And I can think if you're a leader right now, even because this is, you know, it's I think where people get it wrong is if we go into even quiet quitting, they just assume it's this employee that's disenchanted and disengaged and doesn't care but your top performers can very quickly quiet quit once they feel like you don't, they don't feel like you care about them or their growth or their opportunity. And I feel like that's a perfect kind of like way to talk about quiet quitting because it gets such a bad rap, but there's not a lot of responsibility in what the leader of the organization is doing. It's a, you're a bad employee because you quiet quit. And there's a lot of reasons of why people might do that. And they could be good performers or underperformers. It's so very true. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, we all in the end, I, here's how I look at it, like whoever's listening on the other end of this, that I think that we all have to take responsibility for listening to ourselves and what like the environments we're in. And should we stay there? Should we stay in the rules, the people that we're with, listening to other people um, who need us and are looking to us for guidance in some way, whether we have a title or not. Uh, so I think that we're all responsible, but there is a special responsibility that those who manage people um, have because there's a level of power. There's a power dynamic, authority dynamic that exists within the workplace. It's been there since the very beginning of time and it will be there forever. And so yeah. knowing that that power dynamic exists, I always, I like to challenge people to be thinking about how they can wield that power in a more positive way that then says to the people on the other end, I'm not better than you. We are a part of a team. I am here to help you while I might have more responsibility, why, while the buck stops with me. In the end, we are here to do this thing together called work. And I want you to know your work is meaningful to you. And I want you to know that your work is meaningful to me. And so that's the responsibility, the extra responsibility that those that manage people have. But in the end, whether you're listening to this or not and you have a title, it doesn't matter to me. All of us should be thinking about how can we express more care? How can we listen more? How can we lean into others? How can they feel like they're important in our presence? That is all of our responsibility. So, no. And yes, absolutely. We're <laughs> in a group, a team environment. This is like you need, we, everyone needs each other. So your first piece is all about like listening for what's not being said. The second piece of the framework, and I know I might be botching the exact word, so I'm so sorry for that, is getting into like seeking to understand. Am I understanding right. that? And so, because I think that that's a big challenging piece. And I, I look at this as like, this is kind of the the challenge that all of us are pinned against is that we've been taught not to see people. Like don't see them. And so you might observe it mm. and you're like, okay, I think something's going on, but I still, I, maybe it will just work itself out. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. So what do you do when you start to make those observations and you see, you're kind of like starting to like, you know, you have that curiosity. Yeah. What do you do to actually seek to understand? Because I think yeah. that's the like, 
we weren't trained to deal with that. How do you do it? Like, how do you kind of start to lean into that muscle? Yeah. And I think like some of the, from an organizational perspective, a lot of the seeking happens um, with, like I said, like surveys and listening sessions, roundtables, and culture teams where they're they're bringing in like findings and they're coming to present it to executive leadership team or um, employee resource groups where there's an executive sponsor and we can use our voices there and the people there hopefully are listening and are going to plan to bring it to the executive team and they do something about it. Um, and so I think there's some of that way of doing it. When we're talking about one-on-one, um, the seeking, I think the key with all of this is that you got to start off with the right mindset. Like, what are you going in for? Are you going in for to get to the bottom of it so that it moves a project, a process, something forward just for you? Or are you going into it to seek the person, the, the person's perspective? Are you going in to seek the truth for the truth's sake, for the person's sake first? Because what I mean by that is while I'm in the business world, oh my gosh, I have to seek it. I have to get things out of things, out of people, out of processes in order to like continue to thrive in business. If I go into everything with just that perspective, where it's just all about me and it's all about the thing I can win and the thing I can gain, then I'm really never really, I'm not listening. I'm listening for my truth. So we have to go in with the right mindset first. And then I would say tactically, you know, we have to have the courage. We have to have the courage to lean in when things are comfortable, when we don't know what the answer might be on the other end. I remember as a lawyer, I'm trained as a lawyer, and they'd always tell you never ask a question that you don't know the answer to because it can get you in trouble, particularly if we're talking about when like people are on the stand, but that's not the way it works at work. I mean, if we want to create a culture that's robust where people want to stay and people want to bring their friends there too, um, which is a big problem on the recruitment retention side, we got to be comfortable enough getting uncomfortable. We got to lean into discomfort of not knowing what the other end might be and then be prepared to say, okay, from a tactical perspective and strategic, what kind of actions do we want to take to address the needs of the whole, of the whole? Um, because often like, well, let's say we have a team of 200 people reporting or a team of 20 people reporting. We can't necessarily meet every single need of every single person, but if we could see themes or we can see that like, there's some negativity, there's something going on that people aren't saying, how about we have a team meeting, bring them around the table and just say, oh, you all know how much I care, I care about you. And I have been noticing some different things that has been causing some concern. And I don't know what it's coming, where it's coming from. I'd love to just talk this through. And this is safe space. I want you to tell me whatever it is you need to tell me. I'm not, there's not going to be any funny repercussions. I'm not telling anybody outside this room. This is just us together trying to make a better team culture. So let, let's just get it out there. Let's just talk. And uh, so then trying to get people to get comfortable in that space. But, you know, you have to do the hard work up front where they, you've already built that foundation of trust first, where people are going to feel comfortable not telling you the truth. They're not going to do that if you're someone who's already proven to be someone who will go tell, tell other people, who will, you know, put your finger on them later and try to stop them from achieving. And so you can't be the, you can't be this like, yucky jerk leader and expect to get the truth in a meeting like that. So there's yes. some more, which is why that caring leadership concept, the supportive leadership concept comes in advance if we're looking at from a management perspective in advance of how do we get the listening? Because people won't ever tell you the truth. It's kind of a, you got to have the trust in order to get the real listening and you got to listen in order to get to trust. So. Yeah. Self-preservation. I'm not telling anyone anything if I don't trust them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why would I? Exactly. It's So, so where true. do we, and I know I cut you off when we are going through the framework. So let's complete the five because I know in our audience, you're going to have to get the book because we don't have the full time to be able to go through this. But what are three through four or three through five of the framework? Yes. So the, so the three is decoding. And that's really the pausing, the reflecting, the breaking down what it is we heard in the seeking phase. It's saying, okay, hmm, I might need to research it. I might need to speak to another person. I might need to just take some time to be thinking through what my next steps are going to be. 
A lot of people don't do this because most of us want to jump straight to action. We most have an affinity to action. We want to just like listen and act. And it's not a bad thing to the extent that it's like heart is involved. Like we act, we, we want to act quickly because we want to solve someone else's pain. That's compassion. It's not a bad thing. It's just that we actually give away our power and their power when we don't take the time to pause and reflect on what they're saying, come back to it, and then have a better solution for them that now has had more research and process inserted into it. And then the next one is action. So action is like, what is that's the step? Action. What are we going to do to act? Can we act? What, what can we do about this? And deciding what that is and strategically what it is. And do we have to act on everything? And the answer is no. So that's the fourth step. And then the fifth step is closing the loop. And that's going back full circle. So it's, they've done all, we've done all these things and we've taken action or we didn't, or we did act on some, and it's taking action. It's going full circle to say to them, Hey, we acted upon what you wanted. What do you think? Or we couldn't act upon it. We did do all the research. We did, I did talk to team members, but we couldn't act. Um, but here's some compromise or we could act on a few, but not all. Um, so is this okay? Hopefully it is. because this is, this is what we were able to get to. And it really helps all of us better, get better if we do it this way. So that closing the loop thing says the person on the other end, that the voice that you use in the very beginning, so the signs that I picked up at the very beginning, the voice that you used in the listening sessions, the roundtables, the one-on-one, the team meeting, the, any way that we listened, that that voice that you used was more power than, powerful than you think, and that you are more important to me than you originally thought, and that you also aren't as hopeless or helpless as maybe you started off being. That's what it says to them from a, from a nonverbal perspective. You taking closing the loop says that to them. Oh my gosh, I'm kind of important. They value me and my voice. So that's okay. what that cycle does to you. That's for you. And I think you touched on this in the beginning, but what step do you think people typically struggle with? Is it the final one of like actually closing the loop and coming back to be like, is this working? Is this not? Or in your I would say three and, and five. Working- Three and, three and five decode decoding and closing the brother three are the two that that just throw people off. I think you know I think too like when you think about the first step, many people they may recognize it and the question is are they going to do something about it? Kind of like you said, are they too fearful to do something about it? They notice it. Do they want to just let it sit there? Sometimes you do need to let it sit there. By the way, you don't need to address everything you notice, but the, this is like a long, much longer discussion, right? To go into yeah. like what are those little nuances of that? Um, seeking most people think seeking is what they're supposed to do. Most people do a decent job of that, I think, but there's lots of nuances to that too. And then, but decoding is, it really requires us to stop. So it's like, listen, seek, start to gather an understanding and then take more time to go talk to colleagues, to go do some research, to go look at the system, the process. I mean, there's so many different things we want to do in the decoding phase. And then that closing loop one is like, we act and we are so proud of ourselves. You're like, our people talk to us. We did that survey. We like acted on like five things. We are so proud of ourselves. But guess what? If you don't go tell the people that use their voice that to help change, to help make your culture better, that it was their voice that that was the trigger for it, then they're like left guessing. They're like, huh, I think I saw this and this happen. I think it's because of my voice, but I don't know it's because of my voice. Closing the loop says to them, it is in fact because of you. That's the power. I've given it back to you. I love that. Well, I love the point that you made about the... Step three, and they, I'll take it personal. I think that's when my husband and I did, we did like a conflict class together on like managing conflict. And under because we're obviously going to be foster parents, we wanted to make sure we were modeling great conflict resolution. And one of the things that's my husband's biggest trigger, and I know it's mine, is to solve. Like, I just want to solve. I want to make it better for you. I just want to, like, I don't want us to fight or I, I don't want you to struggle or I don't want that. Like, 
solving someone's challenge has the best intention, but I love that you made the point that it actually takes away the power from them and it takes away your power to help them. And yeah, you have to watch out if you're someone that's a solver because you feel bad or you don't want people to struggle because it can actually do the opposite of what you want and making them feel heard. Yeah. And also, I mean, sometimes we all solve for the wrong thing because we acted too quickly. Yeah. I don't know if anybody <laughs> listening on the other end can like totally resonate where, where they've like acted so quickly and it was the wrong thing. And it kind of got the other person in trouble or them in trouble or messed up the relationship because they didn't have time to think it through. And that's a huge thing that most of us do. I mean, it's a lot of us that do that. So that the decoding one is probably the most challenging for most of us because we most have our good intentions, you know, well-intentioned. Yeah. It's just, we're not getting the best out of it because of it. Yes. Oh my gosh. I know we have to wrap up. Heather, I know I'm going to ask like where they can get your book, but do you have any final comments that you would want to share with our audience as it relates to the art of active listening or, I mean, caring leadership? It could be Mm -hmm. anything. Yeah. (laughs) I I would say that um, the biggest thing is that we all possess the power to make those in our presence feel heard, valued, and understood. And don't give it away to anybody else. Don't blame anyone else. Don't don't like wait for someone else to do it. You can take it upon yourself to be the person who says, I'm going to be present. I'm going to clear away the fray of all the multitasking I'm doing. I'm going to commit to not being that person anymore. And when you do that, you'll be giving people the biggest gift of their life. So voila. Yes, I can attest to that. Mm -hmm. That is like one of the best things that anyone can give you. Heather R. Younger, I'm making the R as a differentiator. How can our audience (laughs) get in touch with you? And how can, where can they purchase the book? Um, I mean, I think you can purchase it anywhere. Amazon is there. Um, you can go to uh, Amazon or any other place, to be honest. It's all over and it's global. So whoever's listening to this, you can get it wherever you're, wherever you access your books. And I also have Audible and I read my own book. So for both for this one and the last one, I read it and said, so you can hear this voice on that audiobook. Um, and then to find me, I would say the best place is probably LinkedIn. And you just go to Heather Younger and you'll find me there. And then um, you could also look at my website at heatheryounger.com. Heather, thank you so much for coming onto our show. Thanks for giving us a simple and easy way to understand, but also understanding that we're the ones that are distracted, getting in our way, that that's the first step is our intentionality. Thank you so much for just helping us hopefully make the world a better place by just actually seeing one another. Thank you for coming Mm -hmm. back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I love reconnecting with Heather R. Younger. If you want to connect and buy Heather's book, The Art of Active Listening, you can head on over to amazon.com. Or if you wanted to purchase this in bulk, meaning you want to create that culture of active listening, you can also do so at bulkbooks.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, share it with a friend. If you know someone that might be struggling to connect with your team, This might be the greatest episode that they can hear so they can start to take the foundational steps to be a better communicator and to make people feel valued at work. And in closing, if you like this, leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. And don't forget to head on over to credscom.com where you can request a two-hour leadership skills workshop that's free. And also find out about our other podcasts, our white papers, eBooks, and our monthly webinars. Until next time.